Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about Daily Daf Differently, please visit jcastnetwork.org slash ddd. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Hello and welcome to Daily Daf Differently. It's Jeremy Kalmanowski here for one day of a really different Daily Daf Differently. Today we're not going to talk about a particular page, but we're going to talk about the page, what the page of Talmud looks like and why it looks the way that it does. The text of the Talmud from the time that it was, uh, that it received its sort of final editing somewhere around uh, the year 600, no one can know for certain, of course. Uh, in its initial phase, it appears that it was transmitted mostly orally. Hard to imagine that any person or group of people mastered this much material by memory, but so it is that we understand. One of the early medieval authorities, called the Geonim, uh, reports that his students have never ever seen a written book. It's all orally. Uh, but for the most part, through the Middle Ages, the Talmud was transmitted via manuscript in different manuscript families, and you can tell if you look at them in, in their variations that this one depends upon that one, and there's only one a full, complete manuscript of the, of the entire Talmud, the entire Babylonian Talmud from, I believe, the 12th century called the Munich Manuscript. But the printing of the Talmud and its particular, its particular format derives from the early days of printing. You might know that the, that the famous Gutenberg Bible was printed around 1450. By only a, a few, few years after that, the, the business of Hebrew book printing was also flourishing. Um, the, uh, there was a, a man named Shlomo Halevi Alkabetz, who, by the way, is the grandfather of the, of another famous person with the exact same name, Shlomo Halevi Alkabetz, who wrote the poem Lechadodi that we sing on Friday night. This grandfather, who was a namesake, was a, was a Hebrew printer in Spain, uh, and in 1476 printed a, a Bible with Rashi, and he printed, uh, some tractates of the Talmud as well. But as you can imagine, uh, Spain in the latter part of the 15th century was not a great place to go into the business of printing Hebrew books because only a few years after that, in 1492, there was so much expulsion of the Jews of Spain. Um, so that didn't bode well for those early Spanish printings. And many of them were discovered later by, by uh, scholars in, in, you know, strange fragments, including, uh, they were used as the binding for later Talmuds, and, and there was a book called Suridei Habavli that finds those those texts and looks at their interesting different readings. But a major, major work was printed in the town of Sancino, Italy, by a family with the name Sancino, I suppose probably Sancino, uh, beginning in 1483, the Sancino family was printing Talmuds. And it is to them that we can thank, we can thank the, the Sansinos, uh, Yehoshua Sansino and his nephew Gershom Sansino for the style that we have with Talmud text in the middle. On the inside margin, the commentary of Rashi, who lived from 1040 to 1105. And Rashi is the great explainer of the, the narrative of the Talmud. He's the great explainer of the argumentation. He explains 
what the difficult words mean. He adds, it's just a brilliant, brilliant thing. He's not always unimpeachably right, and there's all kinds of controversy over the years of disagreeing with Rashi or amplifying Rashi, but he really is just indispensable um, for making, making sense of the argumentation of the Talmud. What's a question? What's a response? What's the background knowledge that I need to know to understand this idea? Um, you'll find in many editions of the Talmud a commentary by a fellow named Rabbeinu Hananel, who lived in Kairouan, Tunisia. Rashi lived in Troyes, France, in, in the Champagne region in France. Rabbeinu Hananel lives in Kairouan, Tunisia, and he sort of functions as, uh, as a Rashi-like commentary for North African communities, but Rashi is much uh, fuller, and in fact, throughout the world, uh, displaced uh, other similar commentaries. Rashi himself had gone to uh, the Rhineland from his, from his native uh, area in France, in the Rhineland, to learn from those masters, and when he had to return to run the family vineyards, he wrote all of these commentaries down in, in notebooks to enable study to go on back in France. Uh, so Rashi is the first place that anyone goes, and on any printed Talmud you'll find him on the inside margin. On the outside margin you will find the, the comments of Rashi's physical and spiritual descendants, his grandchildren and great-grandchildren. They are called the Tosafot, and that literally means the additions. And the Tosafot, there were numerous people who participated in these discussions, but the two principal ones are Rashi's grandson, called Rabbeinu Yaakov ben Meir, or Rabbeinu Tam. And, and he lived, he was probably only about five years old when Rashi died, so he must not have known him personally very well. But he lived from the year 1100 to 1171. And then Rashi's great-grandson, Rabbeinu Tam's nephew, uh, Rabbi Yitzhak of Dampierre, who, who died uh, at the latter part of the 12th century, 1189. And their style was to... Uh, to engage in dialectics, really the same sort of argumentation that the Talmud itself does, raising a challenge, harmonizing two different texts, uh, diffusing a challenge, and they are just brilliant dialecticians. It is, it is really a great deal of fun to get into the Tosafot to see how they notice the seams and the rough spots in the Talmud and how they try to, uh, how they try to um, harmonize them and, and give us a book that is a a seamless and integrated whole. Academic scholars are, are common to say that, or commonly say that many of the things that uh, academics nowadays recognize were all known, all known to the medievals, all known to the Tosafists. They just came up with different answers, whereas an academic scholar nowadays will come up with a, a historically conditioned answer or, a, or an answer that brings in material from off the Talmudic page. The Tosafot would tend not to do that, but they would, they would see uh, those very same seams. So those were the first printings, but the, they were outclassed, and the Sonsino family continued to print through the 1480s, 1490s, and, and the first decades of the 16th century. But in 1520, uh, a non-Jewish printer in Venice named Daniel Bomberg, name sounds kind of Jewish, but he was not Jewish, he printed he prints the, fir the first full edition of the Talmud all at once. He is a Terrific businessman. He's a terrific printer. His book is gorgeous, and he prints it in a large enough uh, block that it corners the market, and and that is the the book that gives us the pagination that our Talmuds are now stand you know standard uh, standard pagination that we still to this very day follow. Uh, I myself only once saw a Bomberg Talmud. Those of you in New York, 
may have visited the Val Madonna collection at Sotheby's three or four years ago. Uh, now they had, they had an exhibit of this great book collection, including a full set of the Bomberg Talmud, and it was absolutely stirring and beautiful. Uh, the printing went on, and different marginalia were added, and I'll, I'll say a word about that. But I'll point out that the that the classic Talmud edition, almost any book you have today, really any book you have today, any Talmud you have today, that standard page with uh, the pagination being what it is, and Rashi and Tosafot being what they are, and all the marginalia, that is a uh, an offset or a, or a reprint of the Ram family, R O M M family Talmud printed, beginning in the early part of the 19th, but culminated in, in 1880, early part of the 19th century, culminated in 1880, and it was such a good work, and so full, and so widely circulated, that it is the standard, standard Talmud, anything that you have printed today. Now, among the things that are around the side, I told you about Rashi with his commentary, and the Tosafot with their challenges, and Rabbeinu Hananel with, with his comments, there are other, there are other comments around the side, some of which are textual, uh, textual refinements. For example, a, a 17th century rabbi called Yoel Circus, known as the Bach, which is an acronym for his, his book, Bait Hadash, Bach. He will give you wording uh, suggestions and, and emend the text as well. Sometimes you'll get text from a, from a contemporary figure of his called the Maharshal, the Shlomo Luria. You'll get very, very acute comments from uh, uh, an 18th century rabbi called Rabbi Akiva Eger, known as the Gilion Hashas. But uh, a beginning Talmud student, or, or really any Talmud student, unless you are a true master of the material already, your, your best friend will be a 16th century Italian rabbi called Rabbi Yehoshua Boaz, or Hagaon Rabbi Yehoshua Boaz, who gave us something called the Ein Mishpad Ner Mitzvah. He gave us, uh, these are really study aids, you may not know where all the Bible verses come from, and he will give you citations to the Bible verses. He will uh, give you citations to the major codes. When, when Maimonides in his code, the Shulchan Aruch in, 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 in its code, um, the Tur, Rabbi Yaakov ben Asher Baal HaTurim, when they cite something, he will give you a footnote and you can look it up. You may not remember every time that the Talmud says a given phrase. I know it's not likely most of you will have the entire Talmud memorized, but in case you forgot one, I myself occasionally resort to this, that you can, he will tell you uh, where the parallel passages are. And so to be, a, to be a beginning student, or even at any level of a student, uh, you need the help of these marginal notes, which Rabbi Yoshua Boaz started them, but other people added to them, and made quite complete, so it's very, very helpful when you see a passage, you'll know that this is often not the one and only place that a given phrase or a given argument is cited. It may be cited uh, elsewhere in the Talmud. So, I hope you've enjoyed this uh, small small history of the Da'at, history of the, uh, of the shape of the page of the Talmud, and I hope it helps you learning. Thank you very much for spending this day with me, and I wish you well. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Da'at Differently and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the open and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epic Horus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.